It's Radio Free 501C, the voice of Rotulips Consulting. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite service. This week, I'm joined by first-time guest Dana Frecker-Duty, and we're talking about community marketing and how it supports growth. Welcome to episode 206. Hey, everybody. It's Monday, August 14th, and that means it's time for another episode of Radio Free 501C, the voice of Rogue Tulips Consulting. I'm your host, Cecilia Sepp. I'm a certified association executive, a certified nonprofit professional, and I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Consulting. Thanks for joining us this week. To our global audience, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. Thanks for joining us. This week, I'm welcoming first-time guest, but very experienced podcast person, Dana Frecker Duty, who in a past life at a past job actually hosted her own podcast. So I'm really looking forward to talking with Dana today about community marketing and how it supports growth. But Dana, before we dive into the topic, welcome. Would you like to say hello to our audience and tell us a little about yourself? I'd love to say hello to the audience, Cecilia. Thank you. I appreciate that very kind introduction. I feel the pressure is on now that I have podcast experience, (laughs) (laughs) but I loved it. Um, It is actually an example of how you can engage your community so that aligns perfectly with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, But I recently started an agency, Inktide Solutions, to help associations, events, and their trusted partners, so vendors that associations and events might work with. To grow through integrated marketing communications is really our specialty, as well as trade show strategy, brand strategy, really all about deepening engagement to increase member value, increase consumer value for those listening from the corporate side, perhaps uh, build up retention and ultimately grow those revenue dollars so that organizations can achieve what they need to be achieving out there in the world. Well, it sounds like community marketing not only is a great way to increase member engagement and thus increase the value of the member experience, but it's also a great way to build your non-dues revenue programs. It is. And one of the things that has been kind of a thread that's showed up at every stage of my career is community. I started with community newspapers right after college where I was a copy editor, right? But I really started to understand, and it was really instilled in me, the importance of communicating with the community and what could be achieved by that. And as we look at that through a marketing lens, we're really starting to see now that community marketing is actually now another bucket in the successive buckets of marketing, digital marketing, content marketing, you know, email marketing, event marketing. And community marketing does, like you said, represent an awesome opportunity for associations in particular because they can use them in several different ways. And I'm excited to explore that with you a little bit today. Oh, great. Okay. Well, so before we like get into a lot of details about community marketing, because we do have a lot of people who check out our podcast from all over the place, whether it's all over the profession or all over the world, could you give us a quick definition of community marketing? Sure. So community in general is just about belonging, right? Mm -hmm. So community marketing is really being that mouthpiece to the people who belong to your brand, to your organization, to your community. It's hard not to say that word 
so many times. Right. But we talk about, we'll talk about community marketing generally, which is how are you engaging with your community in kind of non-specific ways, but also specifically within that, a big thrust is a digital community, right? Mm -hmm. Especially post-pandemic, we've seen a rise of these digital communities that have popped up. LinkedIn is a digital community, right? It's not tied to any association. It's just, it is a digital community. We've seen Pavilion and Chief are some of the digital communities that have popped up. There are digital communities that pop up inside of specific professions. Event professionals has a digital community, right? Someone decides that they want to they want to start a community and they put the dollars and the resources and and get some tech, you know, throw, thrown up there and, and go at it. But we also are seeing inside of associations how they are treating their community, their digital community, and advancing that maybe beyond a listserv or discussion boards, or even if they do have a digital community, like we see even in some of our own association trade associations, right? Like an ASAE or some of the some of the statewide ones, the specific digital community that is associated with your brand, how are you maximizing that for marketing? How are you maximizing that for getting the word out about your programming, about your value, and using it as a place where perhaps your supporters and sponsors can be connecting with your members so that they can meet the people they need to meet to solve their own problems. Well, and that's a really great explanation of not just what it means, but how it works. Because thinking about all the digital communities I belong to, I, I usually have been saying online community, but now I'm going to rethink that because it really is digital or virtual community. But uh, it's funny whenever I hear listserv, because I'm like, listserv, those are like... <laughs> So 1980s, 1990s. Uh, I remember people used to call those uh, community bulletin boards th that we started right. out with our listeners, you know, monuments to inactivity. <laughs> but, and, uh, you know, a lot of associations are set up to have those listservs or bulletin boards for each SIG, for each special interest group within, right? And yeah. so there are a lot of opportunities even of how can you have something, a digital space that encompasses a whole community, but also smaller parts of your community? Exactly. Because we want people to be able to connect with people with the, even the, in those little niche areas within yes. the broader whole. I think ASAE's collaborate communities are a great example of that. And I think most of us know this is not a commercial or a plug, but I think we all know that's powered by higher logic. And it's really very uh, nice system. Uh, you can do a lot of stuff with it, share documents and share links and things like that. But uh, I, and I will just say, I probably belong to way too many collaborate communities because I get lots of messages oh, all the time. Right, I, right. Because you, the beauty of it is, first of all, you can join as many as you want. And second of all, you can start one if you want, because I've started several. So like at ASAE, there's this community called Cool and Interesting Blogs and Other Intel. Mm. And I started that one as a place for people to share podcasts and blog posts. And, it, you know, if they're doing a free webinar. You know, right, like, right. And this is really kind of the thing. It, it's It's maybe not specifically marketing in the pure sense of the word of marketing, but 
that cool blogs community, I started that in response to all the complaints that people had about why are people putting their blog post in executive management? And it's like, because they thought you'd want to read it. Right. <laughs> so, right. but then in order to solve that problem, I said, okay, well, let's start this. And, you know, people actually use it, which is kind of nice. Uh, but that's, but that's, again, the beauty of community, right? Whether we're just talking about a community of practice or we're doing community marketing uh, because bringing it back to the marketing specific aspect of the conversation, many of us go to people in our community and ask, well, who do you use for a service or what product have you liked, right? It's very similar. Right. And one from your point about the, the little niche blog community is it's an age of personalization and marketing. People are expecting messaging to be personalized to them. They Mm -hmm. expect that, you know, they don't always want to be confronted with the fact that you're studying algorithms and chasing them around the (laughs) internet, but they want you to send them only messages that pertain to them. Right. (laughs) Um, So age of personalization. And yes, with the rise of social media, we saw the ability for people to ask questions and communicate with more people than normal, right? If you were looking for advice on a new, you know, mower to buy for your lawn, you used to just, hey, on your walk through your neighborhood, you would ask, hey, you know, do you really like your Toro mower? You know, whatever the mowers are. I'm using that example because of course, the landscapers are, are here now. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they are. Um, but now you can go and look at their website and read their consumer reviews. You can look at Google, read those reviews. You can go to any kind of landscaping group that is open to the public and read about lawnmowers, right? Mm-hmm. And have discussions with them. There are so many communities in every single every every single thing you're interested in. There's a community for it, right? Right? It, yeah. It's, it's, and it has changed the game of marketing. And that was really one of the points that I was making um, when we were just together in Washington, DC at ASAE's uh, membership marketing and communications conference is that the traditional marketing funnel is all kind of, you know, wonky. It's turned into a real tornado because Mm -hmm. there's information at every step, right? Mm -hmm. As a, as a marketer, we used to think about the traditional funnel, right? Where you'd gain attention and increase their desire and, you know, bring them into a closed sales situation. And now you find people, oh, they're jumping back up here to the top of the funnel because they've discovered that there's community. They can read about all those lawnmowers, right? So they're not clicking the button once they get to the bottom of the funnel to buy the lawnmower, they're coming back up. And that's, I think, where the real opportunity in community marketing lies is for brands, organizations, associations to be there, to be out in the community and talking with people and also embracing people talking to each other. And I think that is really an excellent point, especially in the nonprofit world, because whether you're a membership organization or you're a foundation or a charity, you have a community and, and people need to talk to each other and connect, whether it's over educating people or feeding the hungry or just making your profession stronger and better. Yes. I think that's, that's really an important point. And, and again, like our example of the niche online communities you can join, when you think about how large 
the internet is, it's exponential in, in how many tiny spaces there are and how many communities. I know people like to joke around a lot, a lot about the like people who like cat videos is, is a common example of a very, right. very specific niche group of people. And then I saw that documentary a couple of years ago called Don't Mess. It's actually an expletive in the title, but it's like, don't mess with cats on the internet about a small community that formed because they were trying to find a guy who suffocated a kitten online and they chased him. And so that that's a not so much a marketing thing, but a real example of how a community can just form online and never meet each other in person and, right. and make an activity. So how does that impact though the, fa the fact that people do create their own communities and they do find their own information. I mean, how does that really directly impact marketing in that situation? I mean, you said it's like a tornado now. Right, right. So one is recognizing that that's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. That there are people being influenced outside of your purview, right? And so being very true to your brand values, this is what I talk about with clients when it comes to brand strategy, is you have to be living out your brand values so that the risk of people talking about you being misaligned with your brand values, because that's when people get really ticked off and go <laughs> start their own community online, right? That's true. Um, that That is kind of number one, right? Recognize kind of how can we shore ourselves up to be listening to those communities, right? Inside of those digital spaces, if possible, or at least have friends who are listening, right? You have to be able to listen instead of talk, right? Because one, you're going to get, you know, some great data from that. And you also may find yourself in a situation where you can, the, you can mobilize a message into that space, right? Maybe I've seen this happen with Facebook groups for professional associations is some, a lot of times there's the anti-association Facebook group. I'm not even talking about the stuff that's going on in associations and events. I'm talking about stuff that's happening like over in hospital and medical world. Wow. Um, you know, they'll have a, they'll have a community pop up. And if there's a board member or somebody who is listening on behalf of the association and kind of like with an ear to that, they can say, well, it's actually, you know, this is actually true or they're sharing information back. So recognizing and listening are, are steps one and two. And then three is really building out your own because people do want to talk <laughs> to each other. They want to have a strong community. And so having your own digital community that is your own thing and not owned by Facebook or LinkedIn and not on somebody else's platform there is an opportunity for associations to invest in the technology and create a digital community that draws people toward them, right? And maybe members just all hop in there and, you know, go. But there are some very specific steps then when you're creating your own digital community that you need to pay attention to from a membership, marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, perspective. And we can... Um, we can dive into, into some of those steps just as I see it. Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Um, I have a couple other questions for you, but I want to, I want to jump on that now while we're talking about it. Okay. So it really kind of the steps to, 
to doing that is one, it has to start with a, you have to have some kind of strategy, right? You can't just like (laughs) say, oh, we bought this technology. Here, here you go. No, 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 no. Technology is really kind of the last thing. If you can sit down and talk about a strategy about what you actually want to achieve with your own digital community, it may be some of the things that I said, what I've, what I've seen people do with their digital communities. One, Cecilia, I think is important because of the association executives you have listening here is your community is not your membership. Right. Right. The community is beyond that. And so we have seen, and I talked to um, a woman who was starting to open up their digital community for their association. I talked to women at ASAE. Uh, they were starting to open it up to non-members, right? So they were unlocking some content and unlocking some opportunities and starting to use that as a pull toward their ultimate goal, which is membership, right? But using that to pull people and maximizing the non-dues revenue available, because if you can show to a sponsor or, or, you know, a content provider that is in your community and has, you know, maybe a webinar or something up in there, you can show them a broader audience. You can show them a broader community. Um, but it definitely has to start um, with that strategy. And I always love to do a design thinking analysis on these kinds of things. So that starts with one, empathy, right? Which I talk about discovery, right? So discover what people actually, <laughs> why was this? Why would this even be a big thing? Where the pain points that people are feeling really kind of get into the mindset of your community. Again, not just your members. Um, and from there, design thinking was to ideate, right? So you're like, okay, let's, we could, you know, let's come up with some ideas of how this could be structured or what kind of groups we could have within the community, what kind of content we could have within the community and start designing some of those things. And when I say design, really kind of sketching out like how you want people to flow through, right? When we talk about design, we're not talking about, oh, it should be blue instead of red. We're talking about a human-centered design of how do we want people to come enter, interact, and, you know, exit, and then enter the next day or a few hours later, right? So really a lot of focus on the human human design. What, what are your humans going to do? Um, my, you know, just as an aside, my co-host from the podcast that you mentioned in the beginning of this episode, uh, Todd, was always great at, okay, so what are these people going to actually do? Right. So whether it was a booth, whether it was a marketing campaign, whether it was any kind of program that we were putting out, we would step through. And even sometimes I have an improv background, so we would act out. Right. Like, what are you saying? What is this person saying? What is this person doing? And then what happens next? And what if it, but that is such a helpful exercise to walk in the shoes of the different stakeholders and community, you know, members or personas that will be involved in this. I'm a huge proponent of that. You know, well, first of all, I have always wanted to formally try improv. (laughs) I do it a lot just for fun, you know, uh, because in the past, I'm kind of digressing here for a moment, but uh, (laughs) in the past, like friends would ask me to be participating in their presentation at ASAE. Like there's like, can you pretend to be like an angry member or something like that? Well, I would go full on like accent, like really a lot of energy, making up all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I think people quit asking me to do that because <laughs> so, I was probably a little too much. 
But I'm also, I think um, improv is very much connected to the concept of extemporaneous speaking, which I'm a big proponent of, you know, you just have to be ready. You know, you don't know what they're going to say. You don't know in an improv situation, what are they going to say? You know, you, you found a corkscrew in your bedroom. What does that mean? Go, you know, and, and same thing with extemporaneous speaking. And, and I think as professionals, that's very important that we do that. And I know a lot of people in, in the association world and the nonprofit world have tried improv because one, it's fun. And two, I think it just like sharpens your, your skills. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was in a performing troupe for a, a, cu- a couple of years before the pandemic, but you don't have to go that hardcore. Right? <laughs> you can have a seminar as part of your, you know, internal training. Um, and you don't even have to go improv. Cecilia Toastmasters <laughs> really focuses on on that, the extemporaneous speaking, right? Is just being able to answer, which is huge for customer service professionals, yeah, which yeah. we should all be thinking of ourselves as customer service professionals, but particularly for membership and marketing, you're the front line. Mm-hmm. That, that is so true. And I, and I think a lot of that, and I think this does relates to, relate directly to the topic of community marketing, is making sure that those frontline people who are getting the first phone call or the first interaction actually have the appropriate information. Yeah have the right information or the permission to say, I don't know, let me look that up for you and get the right thing because there is nothing more frustrating. And I don't know what is going on in 2023, but I have had like so many very poor and substandard customer service interactions Mm. this year in that area. And so all that has done is just completely degrade my opinion of these companies trying to get the right information. And and it takes a really long time. So I think, you know, bringing it back to community marketing, that that communication, that accurate communication, that in the moment, yes, I can answer your question or find the person who can is so much more important. And that, there's, a, there's a couple other things I want to discuss with you. Uh, one of the things, though, I'm really curious. Now, you've mentioned community marketing is really like a tornado now. It, it or marketing in general, because there's so many different things swirling around. It could start over here. It could end up over here. Who knows, you know, swirling around, it could go faster. It could go slower. There's so many, let's just use social media for this part of the discussion. There's so many out there. There's the legacy ones like Facebook and Twitter, which is now X, which is just like a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we have, you know, Instagram, which is a little bit newer one, um, but kind of an elder statesman now. Uh, it's, there, there's just all these, the, those older ones and the newer ones like Twitch and, and then Facebook come out with threads. Yes. Uh, there's so many different things like that. And LinkedIn, of course, we can't overlook LinkedIn another legacy one and really growing more into more community than promotion. I mean, I, I really think LinkedIn started out more like, you know, professional promotion and now it really has built community, which yes. is the, uh, an specific, But that was specifically in, I mean, at, there were people at LinkedIn who were, who were crafting that and seeding that in there because then that makes them number one, right? If everybody can go to LinkedIn for everything. Right. See, and that yeah. leads me to the, thing I want to hear your opinion on when you're marketing should 
do you think it works best to pick one place like LinkedIn? Like most of my members are at LinkedIn. Let me just do everything on LinkedIn. Or do you think you should try to hit all of the different platforms? I think that is one that's really another like humans that are design thinking again, right? Like listening and trying to figure out, yes, LinkedIn may be your bread and butter, right? But if you're trying to open new markets or if you're trying to, if you have a succession plan and you need to build up membership in an, you know, a new area of your profession perhaps that is burgeoning or a different generation or gender, any kind of demographic, you have to be very aware of the limitations that LinkedIn has, right? Which is not everybody is on there. Right. Um, so going out, I am not a fan of just blanketing everything across everything, right? Like we don't need to be focused that much across but you do have to kind of have to have your placeholder, first of all, have your account and your name protected, right? Across all of those. Oh my gosh. And then, <laughs> you know, measurement is really how we see which ones we should be putting more resources into. Mm -hmm. If you have an association, Cecilia, and you push in and say, hey, we're going to focus on um, Instagram and kind of see who's there. There are so many searches you can do on hashtags and on competitors, on your um, sponsors, or maybe some of your big association partners. Are they seeing success there, right? And go at it from that way in order to analyze whether that is going to be perhaps a good fit and then do a test, right? You got to give it a few months. You can't just send one post. And if nobody likes <laughs> it, you're out, right? Um <laughs> but, but yeah, one, there's a lot of opportunities sometimes for specific associations based on, you know, what they would, what they do for a living mm -hmm. in some of these new ones, right? Threads was when it started, what has only been like three weeks. I mean, it was wheels off, right? Just everybody's, you know, and so you were able to, I'm following some people on there because they were posting interesting things when nobody else was really posting. Right. right. So there is that advantage for an early adopter if you have a team that is skilled enough to be doing that. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you use YouTube, right? Which is a very solid opportunity for yeah. you. And maybe you're not on Twitch as much, but Twitch has got it going on over there for some very specific communities. So really, one, don't make assumptions about where your people are, right? Because especially because social media has blurred the line between my professional self and my personal self. Oh, that's true. Right. So I may, am I open to receiving a message that would be geared toward my professional self when my personal self is hanging out on a Fortnite chat room, right. Or watching a Fortnite streamer right. on Twitch. Maybe. Right. I think also generationally people have less of a delineation between their professional self and their personal self, right? It's all about authenticity. So I, I think taking that, you know, making sure that that's in the mix of when you're sitting around the, the conference room table, deciding where to be, you know, with all the ones that you mentioned, that definitely needs to be part of the mix. That's so interesting because like, you know, to me, Twitch is like, well, that's for gamers. I don't game. <laughs> so I'm like not even considering that one. Right. And I, and yeah, threads had an amazing kickoff with like millions of people signed up within like five days, 
But then the usage dropped off almost as quickly and almost as dramatically because it was new, but I don't know if people are really having a new experience with it. I think it was probably too similar. Um, also, and, and I'm just going to say, this is my personal opinion. I was like, oh, threads. Well, maybe I'll check that out. And then I saw you must have an Instagram account to use threads. And if you decide you don't want to use threads anymore, if you delete it, you delete your Instagram account. Right. And I'm like, this way beyond golden handcuffs. This this is really kind of like <laughs> holding your Instagram account hostage. So I do use Instagram. I generally like, I, I don't use it probably as much as other people. So I'm always surprised when I get a like or a new follower, right. but you know, but I'm just like, I, I have kind of built that up. I don't want to risk that because, you know, and then threads, it's like, but you can deactivate the account. And I'm like, eh, not the same thing as deleting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and when you consider the European Union law of the right to be forgotten, I think you have the right to delete your threads account. I'm just saying, Zuckerberg, if you're listening. Right. <laughs> You know, he's probably in training for the big cage match with Musk. So he's that... like, I've already got you on Instagram, <laughs> Cecilia. I'm fine. That's right. It's like, I don't need you anywhere else. That's right. 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 <laughs> so, and I do you know. think that threads will, it will be interesting to see if there is, you know, an uptick again in usage when they do have whatever they're going to, to create. That is the equivalent of a hashtag. Right right? Because it's really that hashtag that takes the big community of Twitter and drops it down to just your community, right? Um, it's not necessarily, you know, Twitter is not about accounts. It's about the hashtags, right. I think, especially for associations that are running events. Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously it's fallen off dramatically. So, you know, people are right to look in on, on some of these other, other opportunities. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I think that was a great point on that. And uh, as we wrap up this episode, this, this has been a really fun conversation. So uh, thank you for joining this week, Dana, and you definitely have to come back because. Uh, okay. It's been fun. I'll talk anytime. Yeah, great. All right, me too. I think whoever met me knows that. <laughs> you know, it's like I joke around, I would have been a great geisha girl because I can talk about many different topics at length. <laughs> But no, that's something you hear women bragging about in 2023. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just think it's funny because, uh, you know, well, gosh, the whole women's issue, that's a whole other episode. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Day, right. But no, it's just because, you know, it's funny because people are like, oh, geisha girls, they were just like hookers. And it's actually, well, you know, they actually like had to sing, dance, uh, play an instrument, be able to talk at length on a variety of topics. You know, it's like, they really had to be educated and work really hard at it, despite the fact their life was not very happy. Um, they had to work very hard for that life. And so that's why I just kind of laugh, like, you know, you know, or the other thing I also say, for those of you who may be offended by the geisha comment, um, I'm like Jerry Seinfeld. I know things about stuff. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> things about stuff. And so, now, you know, there's kind of a, that's in both genders. Yeah. And even non-genders that we have want to have companionship and that we want to have somebody we've all been in relationships where you're like oh I can't take that person around this other group of people oh my right? god yeah and that's that's uh that's a needed it's still needed in business to have a partner who's supporting, supporting yeah partner. that is so true because uh you know all kidding aside you you need to have the right people in the room and in the right place at the right time 
So, you know, I have a silly sense of humor. I think anybody who's ever met me knows that. Anybody who listens to this podcast should know that also, but, <laughs> but it's no, but in, in the seriousness of it, the relationships are really what build the community. And we're talking about community. We're talking about community marketing, how that can help us, how, how that can elevate our programs, our experiences, increase the value, and also perhaps grow that non-dues revenue program that we're trying to get off the ground. Because, you know, obviously non-dues revenue helps everybody because we don't have to increase dues. And, and wouldn't it be lovely if you could decrease dues because you've been able to build this community market and people are able to connect and, and do things together and then maybe even do business together. So I think right. it's- Or wouldn't it be lovely if you could raise your dues because your value is that much stronger? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, that would be lovely. Yes. Um, I and am. because people could connect to who they needed to connect with, which doesn't always put the association at the center. So you might as well have the room, you know, you might as well have that digital community so that people can connect with each other directly. That's true. That's true. Although, you know, ooh, dangerous territory. Oh, raise the dues. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Nobody likes hearing that, but yeah. Know, you know, but if the value's there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, and that's the thing, you know, data has shown that people will pay higher dues if they perceive the value comes with it. And what that means is something has to come with it. It can't right. be an entry fee. Like right. it can't be the Costco membership model. You pay to pay. So I pay to join Costco. So I can go in and shop and spend money. It can't be that, that. you know, if you're going to have higher dues, mm -hmm. it has to come with something. You know, it's almost like a bundle. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing, right? Like you yeah. can't charge $500 a year and then charge them for everything else on top of right. it. Right. It has to have value and you have to be able to communicate the value. Exactly. So uh, before we wrap up though, uh, this has been again, great conversation. I did want to get your thoughts on how do you actually measure your outcomes? If you're yes. kind of marketing, you'd mentioned marketing now is like a tornado. So how do you measure a tornado? Yes. With a lot of grace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, um, sometimes it's very helpful to have, you know, the people in the top um, revenue watching spots to understand that there are marketing activities that are that have become so intangible, or maybe you don't have um, as graduated a, me a methodology or even a tool to track how many touch points you're taking before you close a membership, right? Or how many touch points it takes before a sponsor decides that they want to support your organization. Um, so yeah, touches is a big one, but for the community specifically, I know this is a hot topic when you're trying to decide whether you're going to, you know, advance out of your Facebook group or advance out of, and, you know, and invest in some of your own technology for digital community mm -hmm. is you want to track your community growth rate, right? So over the a specific period, so you make sure that you always have new members joining, but the engagement rate, right, is really where it's at, which is your likes, comments, shares, and replies divided by the number, you know, of posts, basically. Um, your conversion rate. So, you definitely want to be tracking from a marketing standpoint of if you have this many people in the community and this many people engaging in the community, are they converting into other programs that you offer? Are they buying one of your classes? Are they coming to one of your events? Are they renewing their membership, right? Is a, is a member of a digital community, 
you could you could really get granular on this cecilia and say like the you'll be able to figure out over the course of you know especially if you have three years of data right three years into the thinking three years into the future of if you're engaged and you've liked at least three things maybe your percentage likelihood of renewing your membership goes up right so those are those are things that you can track and that's how you really start to go back then and figure out the value of putting someone in charge of the community putting someone who can see content and ask for engagement in your community and then right. even your net promoter score right like that should be going up you know that's that's really great point dana because you just made me realize you're not just measuring you're creating predictive data by by looking at it that way and and what might you do in the future and boy doesn't that make us sound smart predictive data doing predictive I like analysis it. i like it <laughs> so now that's great well you know dana thank you again this has been a great conversation i agree definitely would love to have you back uh so before we close out the episode for this week I like to ask my guest, what is the one thought you would like the audience to take away today? And if they'd like to talk with you more or learn more about Inktide Solutions, how can they get in touch? Yeah, great. So based on um, what we've talked about today, I think my biggest takeaway I would want people to pull is that they need to be exploring, right? And listening to their community and exploring what the possibilities are, because it might not look like what they currently have or what they had yesterday, tomorrow is gonna to be different. So start exploring what those look like. And if anybody wants to chat about it, I am more than happy to. My email is Dana, D-A-N-A at inktidesolutions.com, I-N-K-T-I-D-E solutions.com. And LinkedIn, I, I like to consider myself involved on LinkedIn and liking people's posts and, and growing my network there. So please look for me, Dana Frecker Duty. Thank you for that opportunity to share, Cecilia. Oh, thank you uh, for sharing and you're most welcome. And like I said, I'd love to have you back later this year, early next, uh, to, yeah. you know, to have some more conversations. Uh, this is a very broad topic yes. that we could really dig into granularly, as you've pointed out. So. Uh, and Dana and I are connected on LinkedIn. So find Dana on LinkedIn and send her a note and connect. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. You are welcome. And I want to thank the audience for joining us and listening to this wonderful conversation this week. Uh, we have to go rogue for now, but we'll be back next time with another exciting episode. So don't forget to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast service. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Tulips Consulting, check out our website, roguetulips.com and go to our services page and see some of the ways that we can help you. If you don't see exactly what you had in mind, let's talk because it could be something we can help you with. We also have an education program for nonprofit management professionals, the 501C League. It is so big, it has its own website, the 501Cleague.net. So check that out if you need continuing education or help preparing for an exam. That's it for this week. On behalf of Dana and myself, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. <laughs>